Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. So happy you're tuning in, particularly today, because special guest Dana Perino is back on the show for the third time. Dana's a huge supporter of the show, has been for a long time, behind the scenes giving me great advice over the past eight years about broadcasting and podcasting. She's a Fox News contributor, co-host on one of the most popular shows on cable TV, one of my favorite shows, The Five. Perino was the first Republican woman to serve as the White House press secretary and served there for over seven years in the, in the administration of President George W. Bush, including at the Department of Justice after the terrorist attacks on 9-11. She lives in Manhattan with her husband, Peter McMahon, and of course, their dog, America's favorite dog, Jasper. I love those posts about Jasper. She's a best-selling author, too, and that's why she came on the show to talk about her brand new book, Everything Will Be Okay, Life Lessons for Young Women from a Former Young Woman. You know, it, the book is a no-nonsense how-to guide to life for young women looking to reframe their thinking, to believe in themselves, to take risks, to understand their power, and to feel better overall through finding serenity and taking action. It's a perfect book for a perfect time after kind of a chaotic 13 to 14 months that we've all lived through. And Dana wrote this book. She was inspired to write it because young women are constantly seeking out advice from Dana every single day through work, through her friends, through social media. She wrote a book about a qu- her own quarter, what she calls her quarter life crisis called, uh, and the good news is, Lessons and Advice from the Bright Side, which brought countless readers to her inbox looking for guidance. And through her mentorship program too called Minute Mentoring, Dana quickly realized that this quarter life crisis has begun to follow young women well into their 30s. And let's face it, as she puts it, many of them are distressed and they conceal it with a brave face. And that, unfortunately, too much of that certainly is and can be exhausting. And so to help address these challenges, she wrote Everything Will Be Okay, covering topics as how to manage your relationships, how to be your best self on the job, how to gauge if you're on the right career path, how to solve the biggest problems you're facing. It's a great authentic book. If you've got daughters, if you've got nieces, if you've got your own kids, or it's yourself, if you're a job seeker fresh out of college or an ambitious career woman looking to make a next jump, it's a perfect book. And we, we highlight all of that in the conversation. It really is a, a value-packed conversation. You're thoroughly going to enjoy it. show is brought to you by my good friends and my sponsor, Hutton. They design, they build, and service commercial construction projects all throughout the Midwest. They're longtime fans of this show, and they're committed to the highest standards of leadership. And man, I'm so glad they're supporting Dose of Leadership as a sponsor. They're behind so many projects, stunning structures built from the ground up, remodeled hospitals, medical offices, manufacturing, industrial facilities, municipal buildings, financial institutions, churches, schools, spaces of all size. These days, they're both architects and builders because increasingly, that's what you want. A single trusted partner to work with from start to finish. They get that at Hutton. No dropped balls. Only their vision dropped from delivered from paper to structure. And it's more than a construction project. It's a creative endeavor for them. Put people over projects, too, as they always have. That goes to how they treat their clients, their employees, their community. Character counts for them, and that's how they select their staff, their subcontractors, how they serve the community. It's not lip service. I know them personally. They're the real deal. They're professional, hardworking, charitable, Midwestern in all the best ways. That's their culture, which really is no culture at all. It's just who they are. That's Hutton. Go check them out at HuttonBuilds.com slash TogetherWeBuild. That's HuttonBuilds.com slash TogetherWeBuild. Man, I'm so excited you're tuning in. Go check out DoseOfLeadership.com. I'm opening up my university to 50 new members this year. You can learn all about it and see if it's a good fit for you. It's a great place to join a community of like-minded leaders who are trying to 
lead lives of significance. And that's what we're all about. Pushing each other into the growth zone, holding each other accountable to deal with all of life's challenges. Go check it out at doseofleadership.com university to see if it's a good fit for you. And if you haven't done so, subscribe, rate, and review. Please leave a review. It does wonders to keeping me front and center in the podcast world. I'd appreciate it if you drop me a, a hopefully a five-star review and write it at an Apple podcast or your favorite podcast application. Thanks for tuning in. Let's join the conversation now with the one and only Dana Perino here on Dose of Leadership. Dana Perino back on Dose of Leadership. Welcome back. I know. Have you ever had someone come back? I have. I've had. Uh-huh. I've I thought had, I was the first. You well, you you're you're up there. This is your third visit, and um, and the show's eight years old. You came on very early. Early, it's, yeah, I remember. I mean, you and look at what you've built since you first <laughs> had the idea to start this. Yeah, it's you. it's been amazing, and I I want to thank you. You've been so supportive of the show. Um, you've given me great mentoring advice um, a few times that I've asked, and uh, I, I've been afraid to ask because I know you're so busy, but you've always answered and gave me such great <laughs> advice, and so I appreciate you coming back on the show. That's I good. love the book, Everything Will Be Okay. Um, one thing that stood out, I think it was our last conversation a few years ago, and I have four four daughters, and you said something that resonated with me, and I've passed this advice along to each of my daughters along the way. My oldest is 24, 21 18 and 16. Okay. Wow, dad. <laughs> yeah. But you said something that I thought was a, was great. And it was some of the effect, I'm paraphrasing, you got this in the book, about when opportunities present themselves. You could be in Jacksonville, Florida, at your hometown or wherever, and a job comes available in Poughkeepsie, New York, or Billings, Montana, or somewhere in Alaska, and you never saw yourself going there, and you're just like, just go take it. And I thought that was, I think that's the best advice you could do is just take that because those lead to other opportunities, right? I'm paraphrasing, but I, that stuck with me and it's, and it's in the book. And I just think it's great advice. I use Fort Wayne, Indiana as my um, example. And probably <laughs> that's because, you know, I had um, experience with somebody who uh, had an, was in Denver, uh, had an opportunity to get promoted, but the job would mean leaving Denver and moving to Fort Wayne, Indiana. And they turned it down and their career kind of stalled out. Um, and they were kind of frustrated and upset about that and always wondered, you know, what if I had taken that chance? Um, and if you take any person that you admire, I don't care, anyone, and you ask them, like, what were the steps that led you to where you are today? There's always something that happened in their life that was this real detour, something they didn't plan, something that just seemed to come along. And they thought, well, I guess I'll try that. Um, it doesn't mean that you're always going to have to live where that new job exactly. is, but you know what you want, first of all, you might like it. Um, and also really with technology today, there's no excuse. But the other thing I would say is that we are in a very competitive job market and we're going to be like your daughters at that age group is going to be globally competitive. And so that means you have to be prepared to take opportunities. Now that doesn't mean you also can't turn things down. You sure. Can. Yeah. Yeah. But but when those those things come along and it happened to me too. You know, I write about how I was planning to be in journalism. Well, I am in journalism now, but for people that don't know, like I started there and then I had this meandering path. Um and now I'm back to where doing what I wanted to do all along, but I would not have the job I have today if I hadn't done all of those other things. There would be no reason for me to have this job um as the co-anchor of America's Newsroom and on the five and a chance to write a book, of course, uh, that somebody might want to read. 
No, but you're exactly right. I think back to approaching 500 conversations on the show. I can't tell you how many times I've asked the question, like, well, did, did you picture yourself doing this? And they're like, absolutely not. I had no nope. idea. But I, but I, pre- you remember Charles Crowdhammer, of course, the late mm-hmm. Charles Crowdhammer? Yeah, loved him. So he used to be asked a lot by young journalism students, how can I become a syndicated columnist? And he used to say, well, first you go to medical school. <laughs> right. And his point was that he never thought he would end up being a syndicated columnist as a conservative. Um, but that's where his path led him after medical school, becoming a, a P, uh, getting his MD, excuse me, in psychiatry, um, and then moving on to work in public policy. And then, of course, in uh, journalism. Yeah, it's it's I think we should always have an outcome kind of orient outcome orientation mindset, meaning set goals. This is what I'd like to do. But be open to those possibilities and those opportunities that present themselves and don't be afraid to jump off the cliff with the parachute, but not knowing when it's going to open. I think that's that's really what we're pushing ourselves to do. Well, I think that's do. another thing that I've come to in this book over and over. Um, and it's not that life's going to be easy, but no. if you are born in America, you've already won America, uh, life's great lottery. Okay. The fact that you were born into this country, land of the free, home of the brave. Right. And if you are an educated person, you really are in the driver's seat. And so the only decision you have to make is how hard do you want to work and what kind of decisions are you going to make for yourself to put yourself in a good position to be able to succeed in your career? Yeah, it's all about that perspective, right? I mean, I think having knowing that perspective, like, man, you've won the lottery ticket. Um, I think sometimes we get so wrapped up. Well, I think that was even part of your original when we were talking originally about saying yes to those opportunities, you know, we said, well, my plan is, and you were alluding to this, my plan is I'm going to live close to my parents. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have kids. I'm going to do this. And sometimes you got to. And like, especially young women, I don't, I don't think guys do this as much, but I think women do. You start planning out your life early on, right? Because you're always asked, what do you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Actually, Adam Grant just wrote a book called Think Again. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've ever had him on. I think he would be a great guest. No, for you. but I've been. Yeah, he's on my bucket list. I want him on the yeah. show. Yeah, he's amazing. So his new book is called "Think Again: The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know," and he has a whole chapter in there about why he thinks asking kids what do you want to be when you grow up is the wrong question. Mm. Because apparently, in his mind and in his research, it, it gets you like too focused on well, this is what I'm going to do. Is right. what I have to do. That you're, it's not that you are. I don't know what I want to do. I'm going to learn all these things and it'll, it'll work out because that's actually what ends up happening. Um, and so I really truly believe that just putting it out there, learning as much as you possibly can, that, that the opportunities, they will come your way. And it even goes back to, uh, I think about advice giving my daughters about particularly college, you know, and some is like college, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what to major in. And I don't know if this is the best, I don't know if it's the best advice that I gave, but I was just like, you know, just find something and just stick with it and do it. Because I, you know, I majored in computer science and I, you know, I'm an airline pilot and I'm a podcaster and a leadership expert. I don't need in computer science, but it gave me, it gave me opportunities, right? I had to have a 40 degree to become an officer in the Marine Corps. I had to have that degree to become a pilot at American Airlines, right? It. I, I, I had some young people that, you know, reach out to me. They want to be in broadcast journalism. Mm-hmm. First of all, I think, well, have you seen the trend of this? <laughs> <Right>. Exactly. <laughs> so nobody has cable anymore, but obviously, I mean, but storytelling in mm-hmm. compelling and entertaining ways, that's always going to be a right. part of our, our um, industry. Um, and, but that said, 
I think about a crowd hammer. What he used to recommend to people is you study history. Mm. You that, can never go wrong. That's um, right. Oh, Tony Snow, who is the, the late Tony Snow, yeah. who was the press secretary before me for George W. Bush. He was an amazing writer and a terrific speaker. Um, but he studied, I'll never forget this. He majored in philosophy That's and right. minor in math. That's right. And I, what did those things do? History, philosophy, math, I would say in terms of the logic, but it, those are for, uh, majors that will help you become a better writer. And I would say that across the board, what I see is that writing skills for young people are really lacking, even when they get yeah. out of college, for the most part. Yeah, for sure. You write that in your book about the importance of writing well. I agree with you. It's something that, I mean, I think I write decently. And writing, it, I guess it's because it, it's just so hard. It sucks, right? It hurts to write well, right? But it does pay huge dividends. I agree with you. The ability to, to write well. Well, I really do think that it sets you apart in the workplace. Mm -hmm. You will be more likely to get a promotion or be chosen for opportunity. Um, for example, like if there's a, when we can travel again, let's yeah, say right. that there's going to be a big corporate retreat. Um, you know, are you the person that can help write the memo? Um, right. Are you the person that can help write the presentation? Can you be there to write the speech for the boss? You know, that type of thing. If you can write well, it'll, it'll show. And, and I mean, that even includes emails. Yeah. That's a big pet peeve of mine. Um, and particularly in the workplace, I don't, how we use emails and write well. Yeah, you got a lot of great. I, there's one pet peeve in there that you in this book that kind of the no worries thing. I never heard that before. I'm <laughs> That's guilt a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. Yeah, but I decided to put it in there, and I'll tell everybody here since they haven't had a chance to read it yet. Um, most people are very very busy. I have tried to give up on answering of questions of how are you doing with I'm so busy. You know We're what? All busy. Everybody's yeah. busy. Okay, but I'm telling you when I get requests that a lot of them come in. And I was like, like, hi, can you come and speak to our group? At, sure. You know, eight o'clock at night or whatever, you know, or can you do this? Can you do that? Can you come to lunch? Can you, can you do a breakfast meeting? Like I obviously I can't cause I have a show so many times when I get the courage and it's hard for me to say no, it sure. still is. I get better at it, but it's still hard. Um, I'll, I'll respond. Like I'm unavailable. Thank you for thinking of me. And the response inevitably from these younger people in particular is, oh, no worries. Okay, well, I didn't really have that on my worry list to begin with. I guess I could cross it off. And I know that it's just a figure of speech. And it's just a little thing that I suggested that instead of saying no worries, say, I understand. And if there's ever an opportunity for us to have you speak to our group, we would love it. That is more likely to keep have you stay top of mind for me than if you just say, oh, no worries. Well, well but it kind of sounds like a little bit of a Stupid pet peeve. Now that yeah, I can say it out loud. No, but it, it, but no, but it's like the same. I've been in arguments with my my daughters about when I say thank you. I don't like when someone says no problem. I'm like, well, I didn't realize I was a problem in the first place. It's you the know? same thing. It's, it's the, same the same thing. thing. And I, to me, though, those little details, I guess, coming from the Marine Corps, so they always drummed in it's that attention to detail. Like those details matter when they add up. And you know, and that I think that does when I when I read read your book and just hearing your advice from our past conversations that the details matter to you. You get the importance of the details, right? Little details yeah. matter. And I suppose even on for TV and everything else, the professionalism, you know, like not wearing the Uggs, like you mentioned before, not wearing the Uggs in the office, those, those little things matter. 
They do. They add up. And it and when I say they matter, if you're if you're interested in setting yourself apart from the everyday average, right? That's exactly right. Because you know, really now, um, the college degree, the four-year college degree, that is almost as common now as sure. the high school diploma used to yeah. be. So then if everyone has that, what sets you apart? Now, I'm not saying that you need to go to graduate school. Uh, sometimes that works for people. Uh, but I also have in here a whole thing about, you know, if you're going to go, make sure you know why you're going, mm-hmm. how you're going to pay for it. And if you really think it's going to help set you apart. I personally don't think it's needed everywhere. Um, obviously, professional degrees like uh, doctors, lawyers, um, and some, I think MBAs are very helpful, but other than that, I think doing good work and life experience is the, a really good way to uh, set yourself apart. Yeah. And, you know, if you are paying attention to the details, to the point that you make your boss's life easier yes. and you make her look good, yes, it's going to be better for you. Yes, I agree. You know, it's interesting. I, I'm asking at the genesis of the book. I mean, you started, um, when I first had you on, we talked about minute mentoring. Yeah. And I'm assuming that this, and I think you alluded to it in the beginning of the book. I mean, that's really how this came about. You finally, you saw the success of that. You decided to bring some, you know, you were getting some uh, questions that were resonating with you. You brought a group of young women together to your house and what were the pain points they were coming out, right? I mean, this is, and that's what kind of that's what made you write the book, right? I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. So what happened was in that first book, I'm just grabbing a piece of paper so I have my notes because because I wanted to remember some of those questions. Um, so the minute mentoring started really because I was trying to find an efficient way to do minute men- uh, doing do mentoring in a way where I wouldn't have to have coffee with 87 people. Exactly to do it efficiently. So because you're, you're yeah. always getting asked by young women like, hey, I want to do like you're doing? I mean, how did, how do you succeed? Uh, right, well, sure. You know, yeah. and what I found is that w- I, because I'm, I'm almost always willing to take a meeting. Um, I, I found that everybody seemed to have similar questions, you know, um, especially if you are um, out of college, you've had your first job, maybe you're in your second job. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like that, not the first job. Everybody has that first job, like the second job. And now you think you're ready for more, right. And you are ready for a promotion. Uh, you think that, um, you want to be taken more seriously around the office. Perhaps you've been an executive assistant to somebody and they're reluctant to let you go to try to do something else. I right. see that a lot. Um, and also then they start asking questions of, well, should I go to law school or graduate school in order to you know, set myself apart? How do you deal with the work-life balance? And also I even got questions along the lines of, you know, how do you establish a, a good work ethic, Right. So I realized, I'm like, wow, some of these things, I think I learned kind of through osmosis and experience. Right. I have a lot of formal mentors. I had a lot of people that I admired and that took me under their wing to teach me things. And I look back and one of them is Holly Probst. She was my first chief of staff that I yeah. worked for on Capitol Hill. She was an incredible mentor. So I would always take these meetings. And then what I found out is that, let's say you're in that second job and you're ready to move up all the jobs that you see that would be your next step require three to five years experience and you only have one to two. So you feel stuck, right? So I brought everybody together and what's interesting, I love these mentoring events because all the young women, as they're talking about their problems, um, I ask them to bring the biggest problem you're trying to solve. Everyone has 20 problems, but what is the biggest problem you're trying to solve? And everyone around the table is nodding as each young woman spoke, yeah, right. everyone had a different, different one. But what really concerned me 
is that I felt like the quarter life crisis that I wrote about in my first book was following these young women well into their 30s, even beyond. And just feeling a little lost, unsure about maybe their chosen profession, not sure what the next step is, and also a lot of questions about dealing with work-life balance. And and they think there's a perfect answer to how you deal with work-life balance. And um, I actually have a really good piece of advice uh, that I learned um, that I I incorporated there, which is to not think of work-life balance just as every single day, but maybe over the course of your career. Because there will be times, and for example, my assistant now, she's experiencing one of those times where as you're rolling out a book, you do not have work-life balance, you have work. And I like told her that when it gets to be April and this book is behind us, you're not going to know what to do with all that. <laughs> right, time all the free time. Um, so yeah, so I brought them all together. We, we shared all of that and I tried to get them to focus on, okay, well, if that's the one big problem you're trying to solve, the next thing is deciding how to solve it and taking some action. And I, I, you know, the title is everything will be okay, but that's not true if you just sit back and do nothing. Yeah, and it's action oriented, right? I mean, it's a, yes. it's about having. Very much. I keep going back to what I love about it is, I'm a huge proponent of, you know, outcome based mindset. Meaning, if I know it, it, it used to drive me crazy in the corporate arena and even in the Marine Corps, things would go to hell in a handbasket or whatever, and never go haywire, and everybody's running around with their heads cut off, like chickens with their head cut off. And we got to rework the plan. Rework the plan. I'm like, no, 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 no. We got to work the outcome. Remember what the outcome is. And I think that is the key. When, when I'm reading a lot of your stuff in this in the book, is it's about having that outcome. If you have that outcome in your mind, sitting back there, everything else tends to fall into place a little bit. Doesn't mean it's not challenging. It's not full of anxiety and challenges and everything else. But if I'm always working the outcome, it's the same. When I go fly a plane, I take off from here to Paris. I have a bunch of waypoints, but my objective is always the outcome, to get everybody in the back. And yourself. And myself. (laughs) We're all warm and alive. I want everybody warm and alive when I get there. I don't celebrate the waypoints is my point. I celebrate the outcome to get in the, you know, I always have the outcome in mind. And when I have the outcome in mind, that helps me when an abnormal situation presents itself. And it reminds me of something. You know, when I worked on at the White House, I used to think of that too. So, for example, if the goal was to get the legislation passed by a certain date, then everything else backfilled. But you always have to keep your eye on this. this, And then you'll get curveballs and things will happen. And, you know, maybe this congressman says, "Okay, I'm out. I'm not going to do it anymore. Okay, well, then. Right. But what's you got to keep your eye on that outcome, as you're saying. And that's true in in your career and your life as well. Yeah. the way I also talk about it is that, you know, God gave us this gift of life. And I think that what he really wants for all of us is a sense of um, serenity. Yeah. That feeling of everything is just right. That, you know, those moments and you don't get, you don't feel them perfectly throughout your life all the time. That these are, there are glimpses of that feeling of, okay, I'm right where I am supposed to be. Everything is okay. You're living in the present moment. Those are those little gifts. And there are ways that you can help yourself find more of those times in your life. Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, and I wanted to take the time to introduce you to Ben Hutton, the sponsor of today's episode. Ben, tell our listeners what Hutton is all about. 
Hey, thanks, Richard. You know, we're a huge dose of leadership fans here at Hutton, so I appreciate the opportunity to sponsor your, your program and be with you here today. You know, Hutton is a commercial architecture and construction firm headquartered in Kansas, but we do work really throughout the Midwest, designing and building things like hospitals, office buildings, schools, industrial and manufacturing facilities. But really, uh, more than that, we see ourselves as leaders in the communities that we serve. Yeah, that's one thing I've always appreciated about you, knowing you all these years. I love your intention around leadership and your vision as a company. So what do you think makes Hutton different? Sure. You know, Richard, our purpose is to build life into our employees' dreams, clients' visions, and community's future. We really start with putting our people first, and then we keep people at the center of everything that we do, which really means we walk alongside of our clients from the very first thoughts they have about a building all the way through completion and then maintenance into the future. I love it. I'm, that's why I'm glad that you're a sponsor of this show, Ben. So great. How can people learn more about your company? Yeah, so to learn just a little bit more about us, you could go to huttonbuilds.com slash togetherwebuild. Great, Ben. Thanks for being a sponsor. Yeah, because, yeah, I love what you're saying. And I think it's because that's what I mean by having the kind of the outcome in mind. And it doesn't have to be, and it's different. It can change, it can shift. But I think what we define as problems and what, what most you see in the workplace and in life in general, it's really not solving a problem. It's just getting away from the anxiety. And, the, and getting away from the anxiety makes me react and I don't really solve a problem. And that's what, that's what, that's our natural state as humans, I think. And so when we do the intentional work, like you spell out in the book, it gives me an outcome. Now, instead of anxiety-fueled, I become passion-fueled. And the passion-fueled leads me to baby steps towards an outcome, right? It's interesting you say you use the word fuel. Um, so when I was writing the book, I came up with this idea. Actually, I was doing a podcast interview in the middle of writing the book. And I got a question and I came up with this concept. Um, and then I put it in the book, which is, we all have worries. Some of us have more than others. And I think that young women have a lot of them. Yeah. Like there's, they pile a lot of pressure on themselves. And one of the ideas I had was, or I realized that I do it is I tr have found a way to turn anxiety and worry into fuel yes. and energy. Yes. And it's just like converting the fuel. That's right. So it's all energy. It just depends on how do you want to spend it. Yeah, I love what you're saying. It, it, we all have limited time and energy and resources. The fear and uncertainty is never going to go away. I think the difference between a professional and an amateur is this, is that the, the amateur freaks out when the dragon presents its ugly head. And so we go to all this time, energy, and spent resources trying to make sure we don't see, ever see any dragons. The professional, look, I don't want there to be dragons. But I know there's even my best efforts, my best planning, everything else, something's going to present its ugly head, probably unexpectedly. And the professional's okay with that, and they spend their limited time, energy, and resources on being the best dragon slayer, meaning the composed force within a chaotic situation. And that's what I see that everybody that leads significant lives, they've, they've mastered that, that they've mastered to be the composed force in a chaotic situation. And that's what I get when I read the book, right? Everything that you're doing is, is, is teaching me to be a composed force in kind of a, a, a world that's full of fear and uncertainty that's not going to go away. That's what I, It bothers me when I read books and self-help to get rid of fear and uncertainty. I'd rather convert it, as you put it, into fuel. 
I got a compliment from um, Geraldo Rivera. Mm-hmm. He said, you are um, energetically calm. Yeah, you're very composed. But and- what I like about that description, and if, if, you know, it works for me, I'm not saying that works for everybody or in every profession, but it does make you the person in the organization that people turn to yes. when there's a crisis or a problem or an opportunity. Um, typically people, especially the boss, you know, they want to be around people who are not going to panic. Yes. Um, who are going to have creative ideas and are going to say, okay, well, here's the 10 problems we're dealing with today. Um, I've got eight here. In fact, you know, um, your profession, of course, this might be of interest. I have a former employee of mine from the White House who works at Boeing mm-hmm. in communications. Mm-hmm. Been a tough few years. Yes, very right? tough. <laughs> and it seems like just when they got one problem, yeah, then they have this engine failure behind them. They have an engine one, right? So, but I know, I know him, and I know why he is where he is because he can absorb and pivot and take that anxiety that and turn that into fuel that can help him try to help solve the problem for the company. I can tell you that I think, and I, I think I, I took it for granted because as an aviator, I had it. You have to do that. I mean, you're taught to be composed in every situation, right? What does yep. what does everybody say when an, oh he was they were so calm, right? Well, yeah. it's an, an and internally, I think it's important to realize in the handful of abnormal situations that I've had, I the anxiety and the fear was there, right? And Sully Sullenberger, when he landed on the Hudson, said it was the most petrifying feeling he ever had in his life. Really? And everyone's kind of shocked. But to your point, I think if anybody wants to set themselves apart is they have to never lose your bearing to always be composed. It is a learned skill. And I think you having that blessing of, I mean, my God, working in the White House as a press secretary, I can't think of anything. I mean, just, yeah, you had to be composed, you know? And, yeah. Well, and also because I felt very strongly that I never wanted them to think that I was rattled. I didn't want to ever look rattled, even though I might have sometimes. Actually, I don't ever felt. I never felt rattled. No, you didn't. I was very, very well prepared, like overly prepared. (laughs) But that, you know, that again helped me because every time I walked into the White House briefing room, they knew that um, I either knew the answers to their questions or that I would get the answers for them by the end of the day. Yeah. Well, I mean, you talk about in the book too. I mean, when the first time that you were. It was funny. I didn't know that that you were thinking about. Yeah, I gotta want to cash it in. You know, we gotta spend oh, some time. Yeah, you gotta you know spend more time with Peter and <laughs> and and then you walk in. And they're like, yeah, he's gonna make you the press secretary next Friday. Well, what? let me let me expand on that story just a little bit because uh, somebody who read the book told me uh, the other day that they are always forever going to do this. So in that story, you know, I went in. I was planning to uh, resign. It was about eighteen months left to go. Um, I, feel, I was already feeling pretty tired. I didn't think I could make it through the end. And I thought, you know, that now's a good time to leave and let somebody with fresh legs get in here and run this race. And so I went in and the communications director or counselor to the president, Ed Gillespie, he, I saw him in the morning. And I said, hi, can I talk to you after the meeting today? Because we had a communications meeting at 8 a.m. every day. And he said, yeah, yeah, I need to talk to you too. I said, okay, great. I'm so nervous. <laughs> And then everybody, the meeting ended and he said, Dana, can you stay? I said, sure. So everybody files out of his office and I sit down and I am about to just blurt it out just to, you know, get it out. Right. And he says, do you mind if I go first? (laughs) I was like, oh no, go ahead. And imagine 
if I had not let him go first. Yeah, if you would have, he would have been like, oh. Yeah. They wouldn't have offered me the. I don't think he would have offered me the job. Probably not. Said, oh, well, we were going to offer you the job, but now if you're if you're too tired, I guess we can't do it. <laughs> so, the the lesson that this young woman took away from the book is always let the other person go first. I'm like, okay, I like it. Yeah, that that's probably good advice. You're right because you were just ready. You were like working yourself up to like, okay, I got to resign. And you know that um, that guy Ed Gillespie, he did not know that until he read and the good news is and he called me and he said i had no idea and i was like no the first person i thought of was peter i yeah. thought oh he's going to be so sad but you know what i called him and he was so thrilled and you know yeah there's a lot of him in this book and i and i thank you for for reading it and i'm curious um as a dad mm -hmm. and a manager um and somebody who studies leadership and cares about it if you do think that men would benefit from reading a, the book oh sure I mean, absolutely. Why wouldn't they? You know, I mean, I think that it does say lessons and advice for young women from a former young woman on the title. That's publicly. true. But I mean, I think I mean, I get it. I mean, you got to I mean, it's great to have a niche audience for it. And I think it's needed. And, I, and I'm glad you did. it. I don't think it's I think it's great that you did like that. But sure. Yeah, there's always good. I mean, I guess that's my there's always to be something learned from anything. Right. I always look well, at it. My that husband way. said that he thought it was interesting. He said, wow women think a lot more than guys do. Yeah. The, you know, and I've, I've had a, as a father of daughters and certainly of with looking back, I wish I could have done things better or differently. And with some, you know, in they're still in their early stages and I'm hoping for the best, but there's a, you reminded me that I got this book called the good boss. And I just talk, you might, you would appreciate this book. Um, Kate Everly Walker is her name. And she wrote a book for men about how to, kind of be successful bosses for women oh, in the workplace. For women. Huh. And there's some there were some eye-opening things in there. And again, I, I don't think, you know, as as a man, and I and I read this book and there was some cringe and I look, look, I mean, I consider myself, you know, open minded and the, you know, and modern and all that. All yeah. that. And there's some cringeworthy moments like, oh, I've done that. You know, and it's not out of <laughs> it's not it's not out of malice. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna get that book. That sounds very interesting. Yeah. And it's not out of malice or it's just he didn't. It's just a lack of awareness, right, and not knowing, right. It's the kind of the whole argument. And so, reading your book is good, I think, for a man, particularly in leadership, just to have that perspective. Particularly, I, what I got from it, which was interesting, is because you got the you have you're tapped into the insight of that, you know, that young Gen Z woman who wants to be a professional and this and that. And I don't know what that's, you know, I it, it, so but to then, get you know, to get your also insight. All the other pressures too. Right. And I think sometimes that dads or bosses or husbands, uh, boyfriends, I don't think sometimes I think they don't realize how internalized the worry is. Yeah. For well, and, and like I think, too, in, in my experience of leading women and, and having women on staff and then working for great leaders and some bad leaders who are women, like I, I, I don't know if, I, if we've had this conversation, but some of the, the best leader I've ever worked for was actually a woman. The worst leader I've actually worked for was actually a woman too, and and the difference was people. Huh? They're people, <laughs> they're right? In the human being, the one that the who the woman who led really well, gender wasn't part of her identity, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. Whereas the one where it was the worst one, it was it was top of mind on everything, and it made it really weird and uncomfortable. 
I don't know if that makes sense. It's interesting to me to to see as the new administration, the Biden administration gets themselves uh, up and running. um, A few times, if there's been criticism about a substantive issue, the response has been, well, I will have you know, she is the first this, the first that, the first that. And at some point, you're going to have to move on to the substance. Right. I, I think it does a disservice to women when you do that. To be um, From a man perspective, I think it does a disservice. And I think, let's just get, we got outcomes here. We got things, we got life and death situations, big problems to solve. And then we minimize it by, you know, the, the identity stuff. That, that That's yeah. bothersome to me. Yeah. yeah. I, I love what you did with the book. I, I think it's great. So yeah, to answer your question, I think, sure, we can get a lot out of it. And as a dad and a husband getting that perspective because you're talking you're tapped so, into that group you're tapped into that group. oh sorry we had a little glitch there but i'm tapped you're tapped into that group so i get a lot of benefit from from your insight so i think a man could definitely benefit from reading the book for sure one of the things i've been hearing is about um the practical advice that's in the book so that chapter is actually quite long um chapter five uh but i just had so much advice everything from your know, Email management, um, writing. Yeah, um, I loved it. I love the little, there's so many great tips in there. Yeah, and I, I'm glad about that because I feel like there are things that everybody can do all at once. And then, you know, my husband did this thing with me um, in, oh gosh, that would have been in 19, in the year 2000, 2001, 2001, right before I moved back to Washington, D.C. This is right before 9-11. Um, we called it the whiteboard incident. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where he had me, and I describe in the book how you can do your own, um, which basically it's a decision-making exercise um, in which you assign values to things that you want to do and things you don't want to do in a job. And then you add it up and you look at it on paper in a real sort of analytical way rather than all the emotions that come from, well, should I, I it, my boss won't want me to leave or I don't want to move. Um, all the things, there's all, all sorts of reasons mm-hmm. to stay comfortable where you are. Um, but if you are itching to do something new or different, or you think you might not want to be in sales and marketing, and you'd like to maybe go over to the public policy side of the organization, weighing those things and coming to that decision can then help you get to what you want the outcome to be. Yeah, I agree. I'm curious what you think about um, and this is something I dealt with when I worked in cor- the corporate arena and, and having the awareness of uh, – and having – the reason why I bring this up is because my daughter's a senior and she's having these conversations and uh, the stress level she's having. She's like, I don't know what I want to do. She goes, but what senior if – Senior in college or uh, – High school. High, high school. school. Okay. And she's like, I don't know, you know, because I want to do this, but – you know, I don't want to move away from, you know, you and mom. And what if I get married? And I, I think I want to have kids, but I don't know. And it's like, it's See, like, like she already has it all planned out. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I told her. But the thing is, like, every young woman does it. I know. But I think it's important. As, I think it's important as men and as dads, fathers and leaders is being aware of that aspect that I never have to worry about. You know what I mean? I don't have. I never had to worry about. You talk about winning the lottery male in the yeah. United States. I mean, I, there's a lot of stuff I'm not aware of that I don't, I never have to worry about. And I think it's important as men to be aware of those things. Like, I think one of the best things that dads can do is to use the title of the book over and over again as that she'll figure it out. She's got yeah. all she needs. She's, she'll figure it out. 
what she needs to hear from you is that everything's going to be all right. Yeah. Everything will be okay. You got it. And you don't have to tell her what to do or what to think. Or That's right. Just the, just the reassurance that everything will be okay. It's amazing how those four words can soothe a soul, or reduce anxiety. You know, I, when, I, when I was coming up with the title, I knew what I wanted to say, I had the <laughs> idea, but I was watching, I was in a, this is before the, right before the pandemic. We were in a store and uh, there was a baby that was fussing. And I, I heard the mother say, everything will be okay. It'll be okay. Right? No, that, that, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. That is the first phrase that you hear. And you hear it all throughout your formative years. Your parents are constantly telling you. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, it's you're okay. right. Right? That's I right. Say, this is, you know, I love my dog, Jasper. I mean, I, yeah. I find myself, you know, I say it to him, too, I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. Like, <laughs> you don't need to bark. Like, you don't need, nobody's, gonna, nope, they're not coming in here. It's fine. Um, and maybe that's just the sort of grace that we need to all extend to each other is to remind everyone that it's going to be all right. I think you're right. And, and soothe everybody's soul a little bit. And I think that you're right. And I think that that is an, an, an essence of leadership, that great leaders, great leadership doesn't exactly know how we're going to get there. They just know we're going to get there. And that's part of what right. you're saying and everything's going to be okay. I don't, yeah, I don't, I'm a little scared too, right? But you know what? I'm confident everything's going to be okay. I hear that a lot from people too, ever since the election, um, no matter how they wanted that election mm -hmm. to turn out, everybody seems to be very worried about the state of the country. And I'm like, we're going to be okay. It'll be all right. Yeah. I do that too a lot. You know, I don't, when I pull myself back, I'm like, I'm not going to wrap. Like I, I respect the office. I respect this country. I respect the foundation. Those are the things that ground me that keep me like, yeah, it'll be fine. And also I remind people too, that, you know, you don't have to solve the world's problems. No, Everything starts at home. Um, so can you be a good role model as um, uh, a mother, a, a sister, a wife, uh, whatever it might be, a daughter, um, and then start branching out? Are you a role model at work? Are you um, exhibiting the qualities of civility and grace and humility um, right, that is necessary to keep the, the wheels going? And then, then you know, it hopefully will have a ripple effect out there. That's, that's just sort of how I see that. I do too. It kind of reminds me of that. You know, Victor Frankl, you know who he is, right? The guy, the, right? In the, like our last, no matter what happens or what we're faced with, we always, that last personal freedom is totally up to you, you know, how you choose to respond to the situation, right? Completely. So that's what it's all about. Great, yeah. great job on the book, Dana. I really appreciate it. I'm a huge fan of, obviously, of you. How can people reach out to you? Obviously, the books everywhere, books are sold. But uh, mm -hmm. is there anything specific you want the listeners to do? To, to Well, but I'm hoping, and I'm trying to figure out the right way. I think Instagram is probably the best place for this right now. Um, everybody can find me at Dana Perino, any place, Twitter, or Facebook, but on Instagram. Um, I'm really getting some fulfillment out of the feedback about the book um, from young people. It's really interesting, like what people are taking away from it and your feedback too. I mean, that, that means a lot to me to figure out all right, well, how can people who are maybe interviewing me for the book, and I, a lot of them have daughters or um, employees, uh, daughters-in-law, nieces, I a lot of, you know, that relationship between aunts and uncles and nieces and nephews, it is strong. It's, it's important. Yeah. I've really noticed this ever since my first book and I did the book signing in the old days before the pandemic. And 
I would ask, okay, who's this book for? You know, I'm writing. And so often it was, oh, I'm getting it for my aunt or I'm getting it for my niece. I'm getting it for my aunt and uncle. I mean, those relationships are so special. And I just, I just mentioned that as something that um, I've always loved. So I, I would love to see some feedback, you know, hit me up on Instagram, like send me a little message, let me know. I'll try to respond to as many of them as I possibly can. Uh, but just know it all goes into the pot, <laughs> turn around and then comes back out. Because the only thing that I ask for young women that um, get some mentoring advice from me is, um, yes, great. If you, if, the, if you bought the book or the book was given to you, uh, I think that's great. But the only thing I really ask is, you know, please pass it on. And one of the great rewards of my career is now being able to you know, provide some advice to people along the way. Um, right. It's really interesting that I think a lot of people look at anyone's life and think everything looks so smooth. <laughs> right. No, yeah, that's. And like, oh, wow. And in fact, I hear that even from people I worked with in the Bush administration. Like, oh, wow. It's been like you had such an easy time getting out. What? what? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah. I also think it's really important to remember something you're told as a kid. And that is that, especially in the social media culture that we have, many of us get wrapped up thinking that so many people are thinking about us and thinking badly about us. Yeah. And it's just not true. No. Everybody right. is just thinking about themselves. That's right. Trying to get their own head trash. That's one thing I certainly learned from this show is everybody. I think I had, it was Barbara Corkin and Steve Forbes on this show. Both have said, I, we were talking about fear and uncertainty and I go, when does it go away? And and Barbara Corkin laughed at me and she's like, it never goes away. She goes, she I love her. I listened to a podcast she was on. I go, gosh. Oh, with Morning Brew. I don't mm. know if you ever listened to the Morning Brew podcast. I, I've seen it. Yeah. Heard it. Oh, it was great. And I listened to that and I was like, oh, I really would love to talk to her. Yeah, she's fun. One day. She's you fun. You know, there's so many great resources now for people that are looking for improvement. Mm -hmm. You know, um, when we were coming up through those years, yeah, there right. we didn't podcasts. have anything. No, no podcast. And and there's all of it is free. It's all you can free. Go on these podcasts and listen and and learn. And um, I'm a real podcast enthusiast. I list some of the ones in the book that I yeah. listen to. And I should have put yours on there. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> That's right. No. I, I think my publisher was like, "How many of these do you listen to?" Yeah, uh, you day. listen to a lot. Um, that was a big list that you had there. That was a lot. Yeah. Well, and you podcast it's just yourself. Been a real joy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Dana. I know you got some time here, and we'll stick on. We'll, we'll talk for a minute after we stop the recording. But man, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate you. Me. And the uh, the book is everything will be okay, and uh, I highly recommend it. Thanks for coming on, Dana. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse. Tell your kids. Tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dose of Leadership brings to your world. Go to doseofleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we work together. And until the meantime, make it a great one.